Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Hey, wait a minute. What's the name of your church? Real life Christian church. Real life. Get real with another edition of Think About It. Real life messages from Pastor Dennis Rasper from Real Life Christian Church. And now, let's listen to the message from Pastor Rasper. And so today, we want to look at something that I seldom look at, and we need to do this. Our attitude toward health, sickness, healing, wellness. I mean, it's going to, get, I mean, it's, it's going to touch us sooner or later. And I want to read something that I found in this book, The Awesome Power of Your Attitude. This is a new field of research called psychoneuroimmunity. It has uncovered hard, hard evidence demonstrating that the brain and the immune system communicate with each other. The brain and the immune system communicate with, uh, with, uh, with each other. And then you have this um, psychiatrist from Ohio State University and this immunologist from the same university. And they've studied groups of people and concluded that happy, positive people have stronger immune systems which protect them from the attack of disease. In other words, your attitude affects your health and your healing. And you knew that, didn't you? <laughs> we all know that, don't we? Absolutely. So as we think about health and healing, the first thing we have to think about seriously is the devil. We've got to think about the devil. And what place does the devil have in our health and so on? Because I, I, I'll, I'll watch Christian TV every now and then and I'll see TV preachers and they're going to drive out the demons or devils or, or the spirit of Crohn's disease, the, the devil or the spirit of cancer or the devil or spirit of arthritis. And why do they do this? Why do they do this? Well, what do they base it on? And they base it on John chapter 10, verse 10, where the Bible says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus says, I've come that they might have life abundantly. Let me say that again. When, when, when TV evangelists drive out the demon of this and the demon of that, they do it because, they, because of John 10.10. 10. They say the devil is the thief, and the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And I've come that they might have life abundantly. And you being sick is just the devil stealing, killing, and destroying you. And God doesn't want you sick. And God wants you to have the abundant life. You know, I studied that passage, and I, I've studied that passage for years and years, and I can't find one commentator of significance that says the thief is the devil. I can't find one commentary that says the thief is the devil. See, the thief in this passage is not the devil. The thief in this passage is false prophets or false shepherds or false pastors who don't give a hoot about the sheep. It's talking about the good shepherd and the sheep. And God the Holy Spirit in John 10.10 10 is telling us there will be shepherds who are in the business for the money. A job just to get a check till they can retire and play golf the rest of their lives. And they don't care about the sheep. And they tell you exactly what you want to hear so they can draw a crowd to make everybody happy to keep their job. And yeah, in a way they are stealing, killing, and destroying you because they're stealing the truth of God's word from you. And Jesus, the good shepherd, wants you to have the abundant life. Sure he does, but as God sees the abundant life. And to say that God wants us happy at all times, always in good health, and always materially prosperous is totally inconsistent with God's word. Now, in a few minutes, we're going to see how, well, that God uses illness for his purposes. But so we got to ask ourselves, you know, what is the devil's main job? See, I, I, can't, I can't find in Scripture that the devil's job is to, is to make us sick. But as I look in Scripture, what I find, I find this in John 8, 44. It says, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. 
And when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So what's the devil's main job? The devil's main job is not to make you sick, but the devil's main job is to lie to you. And the devil's main job is to get you to believe, man, that you can earn your way to heaven. That's the devil's main job. Just be good enough and you're going to go to heaven. That's what the devil's all about. Just believe everybody goes to heaven. Just believe everybody's religion is right. Just believe that Jesus Christ is, is one of a thousand ways to get to heaven. See, that's the devil's main job. It's the devil's main job to convince you of those lies. And here's something else you got to know, too. The devil is not a loose cannon, folks, out of God's control who can attack you with disease at will. He's not a loose cannon like that. In Job chapter 1, what does the devil do? He asked God, he asked God's permission, right, to attack Job. He asked permission. And then God sets limits on just how far Satan can go. He says, you can go just this far. You can't take his life. And then you go to Luke twenty-two thirty-one. 31. I'm saying all this so we don't blame the devil for everything because I think we give the devil, listen, I think we give the devil far too much attention in our preaching, teaching, and thinking. Far too much attention. Luke twenty-two thirty-one. 31. The deal is this, that um, Satan has come to Jesus about Simon Peter, and Jesus says to Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, in other words, when you've gone through this whole ordeal and turned back, then you go strengthen your brothers, see? So the devil comes to Jesus and says, can I test Simon Peter? And Jesus says, yes. And why did Jesus say yes? Because after Peter passes through this trial, he would. He would, as this word of God says, go out and strengthen his brothers. He would tell them, hey, God's power and grace got me through this. And so Jesus, the son of God, ordained a purpose for Peter's trial and would use it to bless people. Now, here's the point, that Satan can't attack you and make you sick unless God allows it. He's not just out there as a loose cannon who can attack you at his will. So God has to say, uh-oh, send an angel. Look what happened. Satan got this guy. He always has to ask permission. Satan can't do anything to you, anything whatsoever, unless God says yes. And then what does God do? He sets limits. He sets limits and ordains a purpose to what he allows into your life. And that's what you, you, you got to be real careful about this. And to me, it makes a whole lot more sense than rebuking the demon of this and rebuking the spirit of that. Because if God allowed something into your life, if, if that demon had to ask God's permission to do this, and God said, all right, I'm going to allow it, and then he ordains a purpose for whatever he allows into your life, and you're rebuking that spirit, aren't you at counter purposes with God's purposes? See, and doesn't it make a whole lot more sense to pray? Doesn't it make sense to your Father who loves you? Just to go before his throne and say, Father, I hurt. And Lord Jesus, you suffered, and I know what that, and I know you know what that, that, that's like. See, just go to the Father like that. I believe that touches his heart because you're coming to God so helpless. See, you got to remember this. Satan can't touch you. He has, he has absolutely no effect without God's permission. And then the Father tells him just how far he can go. If our illnesses are primarily, primarily not from the devil, unless God allows them to touch us, to touch us, then where does our illness come from? That's not hard to answer because it's in Romans 5.12. In Romans 5.12, let me just read this to you. It said, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men. Let me read that again. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death came through sin, and in this way death came to all men, because all have sinned. See? 
So, 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 so why is there sickness? Because death and all that leads up to the grave, or all that leads up to death came because of sin. Sickness and death came because of sin. Sick bodies, dying bodies were never part of God's plan. And then Satan tempted Eve, and she ate, and she gave to her husband, he ate, and he blamed her, and she blamed the devil. And Cain killed Abel. By the time of Noah, the world was so evil, God destroyed it with a flood. Sin changed everything, man. man it, it changed man's nature. It changed nature itself. And when nature changed, bacteria happened, disease happened, people got sick and died, all because of sin. And I mean, what does that mean for you and me today? It means don't hug your grandkids when they're sick because there's bacteria out there. That's all it means. Sin brought bacteria. So don't hug your grandkids when they're sick. Wash your hands. Wash them a lot. Wash the fruit and vegetables you eat. Eat fruit and vegetables. Eat right. Exercise. But your body still will wear down. It will get sick. It will ultimately die because of sin. But one day, and here's the hope, God the Father is going to recreate this world. He's going to recreate this world without sin. And when you go to heaven, you're going to have a perfect body. There's going to be no sickness. It will be a place where only righteousness dwells. And that's 2 Peter 3.13. And so far we've seen that Satan can't touch you unless God says yes. We've seen biblically that illness comes not so much because of Satan, not primarily, but because of sin. And so let's look at 1 Timothy 4.8. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. And here's what Paul writes. Physical training is of some value, but godliness holds value for all things, holding the promise both for the present life and for the life to come. You got to keep it in perspective. So many people are consumed with their health. It's what they think about. It's what they talk about. And, you know, I think to myself, if we would spend a fraction of the time, a fraction of the time building our relationship with God in personal devotion with him through prayer and his word, as we do on our hair, as we do on our face, as we do on our exercise, as we do on our pills, as we do thinking about our health and all the aches and pains we have, as we do on doctor's appointments, you know, God's saying through Paul, if we did that, if we spent much, that much time in devotion toward God, or just a fraction of it, just a fraction of it, we'd be building for eternity, which lasts forever and we'd have a far greater impact on people. Just a fraction of the time on personal devotion, building that relationship with God, as you do on health and beauty issues, you'd handle your life a whole lot better. Just a fraction. See, that means you become a much more effective witness for Jesus Christ to lost people. It means you develop qualities like patience and gentleness and self-control because the Holy Spirit will work that in you through the Word of God. But you got to keep it all in perspective. That's what this Word of God is saying. Keep health in perspective. Here's another point we need to know about health. And, and we need to know, I need to know this. Thank God for good health. That sometimes gets by me in my prayers. But thank God for good health. Don't take it for granted. He wants to hear our thanks, not just from our lips. He wants to hear it from our hearts. And he wants to know that you know and do you know that your health is totally a gift from him, your good health. Here's something else. Pray for good health. We got to know this too. I pray for my kids. You know what I pray? I, I, I pray that my kids, my sons and daughters, daughters-in-law, sons-in-law, have great health so they can raise their kids and pass on biblical values so that our grandkids can have the security of living in a home where you have two parents, mom and dad, passing down the values of God's word to them. 
that they can have that strength and that security. I, I, I pray for that. I pray for their health. I pray for every aspect of Cheryl's health. If she hurts, I pray for it. I pray that God will keep me from disease and injury so I can serve the people he brings into my life. I pray for every health issue you have that I can remember. And a lot of times i got to write this all down. But you don't know how much time I spend in prayer, especially for your health issues. And i got to tell you something. God hears and answers those prayers. And we have hundreds of promises in his word that tell us he wants us to pray for each other because he answers every single prayer. And I got to say this, every time somebody gets better, I feel great because I know I had a small part in that or a big part because God hears and answers my prayers. And I believe, and you don't know how I believe, that people are healed because people pray. Now, here's how all this relates to attitude. Remember, attitude is, is your paradigm. It's how you see a person or how you see a situation. It's how you think. As a man thinks, so he is. Proverbs 23, 7, see? Now, you can choose. You can choose how you see your illness. Attitude is always a choice, and other people are going to pick up on that real quick. And we have to see illness as from God. See, this makes all the difference in the world as from God because he's got anything that comes into your life has to come from him. He has to say yes to it. And you got to think like this. This is where attitude comes in. You think if the father would give his son, if the father would give his only son, I mean his son, to pay the penalty for your sins and mine, if the father would do that, will he send anything or allow anything into our lives that won't somehow bless us in the end? That's the rationale you've got to have. That's how we have to think, man. We've already considered this. If any sickness comes into your life, I don't care if it's from Satan. And Satan does. I mean, if God allows it, he'll bring illness into your life. He'll attack you. Or if it comes from bacteria or an accident, God has to say yes to it first. See, you're his child because you believe in his son. And I know there's some people at every service, there's people who don't believe in his son. There's people who don't. But man, you can today. You can have it all. But if you are his beloved by faith in his son, everything that slams into your life, God allowed it before it ever slammed you. God had to say, okay. And God said, there was a point where God said, okay, I'm going to allow this into my child's life. And here's what I'm going to do with this issue. Here's what I'm going to do with it. Here's how it's going to bless my beloved. And that's not only illness, folks. That is absolutely everything. You've got to think like this. It's all about attitude. Now, why do you think God uses sickness in particular in a lot of ways to change us or redirect us or teach us? Here's why, because your health is so personal. Our bodies and our health are just about as personal as it gets. Pain is very personal. Facing death doesn't get more personal than that. We are aware of every ache, every pain, every problem. We can't sleep. Our back aches, man. We know that, man. And I believe that the number one reason, and there are others, of course, but the number one reason God touches our bodies with illness is to make us dependent. We become independent of God. I believe the number one reason, and we're going to look at Mark 5 to show this, I believe the number one reason that God sends illness into our lives or allows it into our lives is because we become too independent of them and we need to learn dependence. I'm looking at Mark 5, 21. It reads like this, when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. And then one of the synagogue rulers, a man named Jairus, came there and seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet. That's interesting. And he pleaded earnestly with him. And he said, my little daughter is dying. Please, please come put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. And so Jesus went with him. 
So who is this guy Jairus? The Bible says he's a synagogue ruler. What does that mean? It means he's a Jewish legalist. It means he's in the camp of the Pharisees. It means he's, he's, not, a, he, he's not a Jesus person. Jesus is on the other side of the fence. And now his 12-year-old daughter, not him personally, but his daughter gets sick and she's dying, and he's dying inside because he's the dad. And Jairus never believed Jesus' claim, Son of God, Messiah. He never believed this stuff, but now Jairus had no moves. I mean, he was at the end of himself, and he was forced by his daughter's illness to consider Jesus' claims to be not just true man, but to be the Son of God. He was forced now to consider that. He was forced to look at the facts. This guy has supernatural powers, and, and, and he heals people and does things that nobody else can do. See, illness forced him into that, see? Now notice, he fell at Jesus' feet. Notice he pleaded earnestly. I mean, this guy who was on the other side of the fence, notice, notice here, he said, please, he said, please come. He was at the end of himself, and that's a good thing, and notice what Jesus did. He went. And so on the way to Jairus' house, this woman with this flow of blood comes. I mean, 12-year flow of blood. Listen to this. This is verse 25, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, and she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors, spent all she had. Anybody relate? <laughs> Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. And when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his clothes because she thought, if I can just touch his clothes, I will be healed. And immediately her bleeding stopped. And she felt in her body that she was freed from the suffering, see? So here's another lady who had reached her limit. She had spent her whole life savings on doctors with no effect. And she said, if I can just reach out, if I can just touch his garment, see? And folks, that's how God's going to deal with the unbeliever. They're sick or somebody they love is sick. I mean, medicine has done about all it can. You have no moves, and your only move is to cry out to God. Man, he's knocking at the door of your heart. He wants to, boy, when you get, you got to see sickness like this, unbeliever. Or maybe a believer is just trying to draw you back to the center of his will or get you off your independence, see? And you got to cry. And he's knocking at the door of your heart. He wants to show you his love, his power, so you can take the next step and trust his grace in Jesus Christ for salvation. I mean, man, we get so independent of God. When you, go into, when you can go into a day without turning that day over to God in prayer or without seeking divine wisdom from the Holy Spirit in his word, when you can go into a day without prayer in the word of God, you're far too independent. And God's going to have to work on your life, see? When a problem comes into your life and your first knee-jerk reaction is, hey, call somebody or look to yourself, you become way too independent, when you don't think about God, and this is going to sound very spiritual, but you should be doing this. When you don't think about God just about all day, every day, because a believer will do that, God will be on his mind with just about every choice he has to make. And if you're not doing that, man, you're way, you're way, way, way too independent of God. And God's got to do something in your life. And so the Father in heaven must get, must get you to a point of dependence. And another word for dependence is trust because we're, where we trust him and not ourselves. And when God gets you to that point, when he gets you to that point, man, that's where 2 Corinthians 12 is going to kick in. 2 Corinthians 12, what verse? Verse 10. 2 Corinthians 12, 10. Listen to what Paul says. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. In insults, in hardships, in persecutions, and part of all that sickness. Now listen to this, in difficulties. For when I am weak, 
then I am strong. When I am weak, then I'm strong. And God's got to make you weak. Think about that. God's got to make you weak to make you strong. And sickness is the best way to do it. So don't call God a liar. This is truth. And man, you have to think like that. It's all how you think. It's all how you see it. It's all attitude. And we need to know this too, that God heals. That's really important. Jairus and this woman both, this woman with the flow of blood, they had both reached their limit. And what did Jesus do? He raised Jairus' daughter and he stopped that flow of blood after 12 years. God can heal you, folks. You got to know that God can heal you. God can heal you. God has power and authority over every illness and he can heal you. There's a school of theology out there that says healing and miracles and signs and wonders were only for the, for the apostles in the era of the apostles until the whole canon of scripture was finalized. That's ridiculous. God can heal you, see? And if you don't believe that, I'll tell you what you're going to be a defeated, gloomy Christian, and he won't offer, and you're not going to offer suffering people much hope. Now, but there's a qualifier to this too. God has a specific purpose for every illness, and he will always do what's right. And you got to think about this. You're very particular. You're very special to God. And if God knows in his perfect plan for you, it is better for you to endure this illness, he's not going to intervene. If he has other people's lives he wants to touch through your illness, and that's part of his plan, he's not going to take it away. Every person is special to God. He tailors the illness or he tailors the problem, whatever it is, to fit you. I mean, everything he sends into your life or allows into your life, he tailors it to fit you. And this is your memory mark, Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29. This is so good. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. A yoke is something made to fit. They would put yokes on oxen. It had to be handmade to fit. A yoke is something made to fit, made for you. Jesus says, take my yoke, my yoke. What's that mean? The one that I've tailored, the one that I've designed to fit you. Take my yoke upon yourself because I'm gentle. He's gentle and humble in heart. That is so good. It's so good. Uh, folks, it's all how you see it. It's all, it's all attitude. And you got to know this. Here's what I got going for me as a believer in Jesus Christ. God may not choose to heal me, or he may. But I always know that he can. Let me say that again. God may not choose to heal me at that time. It may be God's plan that I have to go through this trial. But I always know that he can. I just look at the cross, and here's what I know. I know he loves me. I just look at the history of my life, all the answered prayers. I know he hears the cries of my heart. And I know, I just know, I know he can, if it's his will. And I always have that hope. We always, always, always have that hope as a Christian. As a, we are never, listen, we never face, you know, other people are going to come to dead ends and brick walls. I mean, medical technology wears out. They're done. We never, ever, ever. I mean, we never face a brick wall and never face a dead end. As a believer in Christ, you always have that hope. So let's say God chooses not to heal you and, and you're facing death. Then what do you do? Folks, you deal with it. In Christ, I am, we are always winners. I mean, you, you can never lose. If God lets you live, God's got a purpose for you. And he's going to accomplish that purpose. If you die, you get the best of the... I mean, isn't that something? I mean, as a Christian, you are never, ever, 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 ever a loser, man. You're always a winner. But, but do, you, do you think like that? It's how you think. Man, this whole thing is about attitude. And so what have we seen today? 
We've seen, first of all, that Satan is not a loose cannon. God has control of him. He is not the thief that comes to kill, heal, and to kill, kill, steal, and destroy. That's false prophets or false pastors. He is first and foremost a liar, and Satan cannot touch your body unless God gives him permission. And then God will set the limits, and he'll keep Satan in check. Then we saw from 1 Timothy chapter 4 that your health should not consume you. And if it does, you've got to pray for change. Your health should not be the main concern of your life. God said it through Paul. Physical training profits some, profits a little for this life. Spiritual training profits for eternity. And one thing you just may want to practice is quit talking about it. When other people address the issue of your health, say, you know, God's in control or I'm fine, be cheerful and change the subject and go on to something else. Quit dwelling on it. See, we've seen also that we need to thank God for good health. We've seen that we need to pray for good health and see how God uses good health or uses our health to make us dependent and how illness and every problem for that matter is tailor-made to make us better. And we've seen that God can heal. We've seen that we're never, never, never without hope. And the bottom line is this, this book is truth. All the promises are true. In life, in death, we are winners. And folks, it is all attitude. Think About It is sponsored by Real Life Christian Church. Real Life Christian Church meets in Endeavor Middle School, 22505 26 Mile Road, just west of North Avenue in Ray, Michigan. Sunday service starts at 10 a.m. Visit us on the web at rlcc.us. Never miss a single message from Pastor Rasper. Just go to faithtalk1500.com and download the Real Life Podcast. And until next week, may God's Word do a work in you. Real Life Christian Church. Get real.